The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, what is the third commandment? The third commandment, don't say it out loud, but I just want you to think. Some of you, maybe as you came in, you saw the bulletin, and so you have an idea of, of this. But I, I want us to think, even if you know when you hear the third commandment what that commandment is, do you really know what it means? We're going to look at that today. If you would turn to Exodus 20, and I want to share the story of Ted Koppel. Some of you recognize that name. He was anchor of ABC's Nightline from 1980 to 2005. In the year 1987, he was asked to give the commencement address at Duke University, which is not a conservative school, in case you didn't know that. But here's part of what he shared in his address there, in his speech. We have spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings searching for truth and moral absolutes. In the place of truth, we have discovered facts For moral absolutes, we have substituted moral ambiguity. Our society finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. It is a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. They are commandments. They are not were, not just for then or now, but for all time, he says, which brings me to the first, and in our day and age, probably the most controversial of all the commandments, since it requires that we believe in the existence of a single supreme God. And then the second commandment prohibits the worship of any other. And then he went on on to talk about idolatry in these terms, including the false gods of the appeal of success and fame And he says their influence is magnified on television. And he's speaking as someone who spent his career in television. I caution you, he says, as one who performs daily on that flickering altar, that screen that he called the flickering altar, set your sights above what you can see. There is true majesty. And then he explained in the Ten Commandments, the third command forbids that his name be taken in vain. I can imagine you could probably hear a pin drop in that auditorium, or in in some sense it was a mic drop moment when he says, these are not ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. And our idols that we looked at last time, those can be the, the flickering altar of a screen. We've been looking at God's law and, and the application for us, and and I said at the beginning of the series, how God's law applies, Jesus can change or expand it, but God's law and his heart behind his character, behind it, never changes. It's always the same. And we'll, we'll see, especially in the fourth commandment next week, how Jesus transforms it. But also we'll see this in the third commandment as well. Jesus goes beyond God's names that we say, and he goes beyond just a Sabbath day, and he's going to make it about him. In fact, you could argue all the first four commandments he is making about him, but I, I can't sum up better than Ted Koppel did in that speech, those first three commandments, and where we're going today in chapter 20, verse 
7, and this is the passage. Look at it with me. You shall not, let's, let's read it out loud together. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Or some of your translations may say that he will not leave unpunished those who misuse his name. How many of us know and can recite lines from movies? And I'm, I'm not asking you to, to recite them right now, but we can think of lines from movies, can't we? But did the third commandment come to mind just a few moments ago when I asked you what that commandment was? And if it did come to mind, do you know what it means? I mean, how many names are there that we know that are honored on screen? And how often do we think about And how many times have we thought about honoring the Savior's name in this command? I think there's probably people here who would never miss an episode of of your TV show that you watch religiously. But the truth of God that he shows in, in messages that go forth, is that your priority? The first two commandments talk about our number one priority. We're not to put anything ahead of God. Is corporate worship in his name? A priority for you. Or when you sing his name, as as we all just did a little bit ago, did you mean those words or were you wanting to mean those words? Is it sometimes in vain that we use his name? Is it, as we think of the flickering altar's vanity? This is an important thing for us to consider. Kevin DeYoung says that few in church, in some surveys, 14% can name the Ten Commandments. But by comparison, three out of four can name all three stooges. And more than one in three know all six kids from the Brady Bunch by name, which is a show canceled a long time ago. But however many you can name, can you even, or do you even think about how many times have you taken the Lord's name in vain? I think as we go through this, you'll realize it's more than you think. But according to a Gallup poll, even among those who say they believe in the Ten Commandments, only one in six can even name six of them from memory. R.C. Sproul said, even in Reformed seminary classes, where there's probably a higher percentage of catechizers than others, it's, there, there's not many who can say all ten from memory. I want to challenge you as we go to know the Ten Commandments, to to grow in your understanding of them and to discern your need in them and their depth of them. Let's let's hold up God's mirror again today as a God's law as a mirror for self reflection and for self correction. Because I, I fear many of us don't fear breaking verse seven. Or even as you read that there you think, well, finally we've gotten to a commandment that I don't struggle with. Well I think we're gonna find out that we do. And if we think of the last commandment we looked at as just no statues worshipped, or if we think of this commandment as just no swear words with God's name, we miss applications for us. And it may be verse 7 is the most misunderstood of all ten, what it actually means. And so I want to begin our study with two questions. Or actually, really, these will be the two questions we look at today. How can we take God's name in vain? And then how does the gospel help us 
honor it. But there's a warning here, isn't there? End of verse 7. This sin brings guilt. And it's a guilt that God cannot leave unpunished. This is serious to, to not be held guiltless by God the judge. And so I need to ask, how can I be guilty of violating verse 7? How can you take his name in vain? And the first way, and maybe a common way, is by phony hypocrisy or by false hypocrisy. Those who have studied this term say the core idea of that word in verse 7 is falseness, a false taking up his name. You shall not take, it says, and the the Hebrew literally there is, you shall not bear, you shall not carry, you shall not lift up in vain. And it's not a word that even primarily refers to speaking it includes our, our behavior, our, our living. And so this isn't just limited to talking with certain words. It's taking his name, bearing it, lifting it, it up in your life, but you are living sinfully and phony and hypocritically. God would say later of Israel in Ezekiel, they defiled my holy name by their abominations that they committed. Our, our lives, how we live, can dishonor His name. It's not just our lips saying His name. Jesus in the New Testament talks about how we're to bear His name. When He called Paul, He says, you're to bear my name before Gentiles. And, and even in the Great Commission, we're, we're, being, we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Peter says Christian is the name that you bear. If you bear the name of of Christian, he talks about how you're to live before unbelievers. And the challenge there is, do you bear his name falsely by acting like the rest of the world? All of us can fall short at times, but this isn't just falling short. This is a, a phoniness, a hypocrisy. It's vain if you only lift up his name in your Sunday worship and then the rest of the week you're not concerned with his name. It's, it's vain, we might say, to take his name in baptism but then to not live as a disciple obeying Jesus' commands. And So there is a verbal element we get to but there's a behavioral element of those bearing his name. We could also say it's vain to take his name in the communion cup like we did last week that is all about forgiveness. If you're not seeking forgiveness, if you're not forgiving others as we're called to. Kevin DeYoung said the worst thing that can be phony about us is us. We go to church. We sing the songs. We say the right things. We know the right answers, but it's not reality. Listen, if we are called by the holy name of God, we must not dishonor that name by living as if our conduct does not concern his name or his glory. 1 Corinthians 5.11 warns about fellowshipping with those who continue, even as they've been confronted, to live unrepentantly when they bear the name of a brother in Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 warns about eating and drinking judgment if we're not discerning the body rightly, if we're not examining ourselves rightly. We can take the Lord's table in vain. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7. You hypocrites, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and then he quotes, in vain they worship me. That should convict us to examine our hearts to make sure we are not being phony and hypocritical. The vain misuse of God's name in worship. And and when, because of our frailties and weaknesses, we fall short of that, a true believer wants to repent and say, God, help me to honor your name. Forgive me. Help me. So that's one. And then another would be pledges not kept. God's name was also used in and some of the scholars think this may have been the, the first or primary one. And when they would lift up their name in, to take an oath, they would lift up their hand, rather, and they would take his name and they would swear by it. We don't see that as much in our culture, but we do see it in court. That people lift their hand and they swear to tell the truth, the whole tr- truth, and nothing but the truth. And then you hear two people who have done that giving opposite testimonies. And we, we might even say, so help me God. After Exodus is Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 12, says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. We don't do vows as often as ancient Israel did, but if if you're married, you said wedding vows. Here's, Here's how we do them here. This is part of what we say. In the name of God. For better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn pledge. And and we say, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Every day people swear those words promise those words, but for millions, those words prove to be spoken in vain. And not just in the most serious ways, but even pursuing how to, how to love, how to honor, how to pursue those promises. Or, or more often, people pledge allegiance and they say they're under God. But for most, those are just words. But as Christians, here's part of the membership covenant that we need to take serious. When you join this church, you say this. We also ask members to repeat it out loud. Here's part of it. With Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, I do now in the presence of God most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with other believers of this congregation. I will endeavor by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love and to maintain the unity and to watch over other believers and to walk in such a way to maintain a strong Christian testimony, to bring up those in my care in the teaching of the Lord in my family, to maintain a clear conscience by asking forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, and forgiving others according to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's, there's others in those too, but but those are taking up the name Christian or a name of God. Those are important things to be doing and to be pursuing and to be seeking forgiveness, to be pursuing unity and, and all of those one another's. If you would go to Mark 7, there's another one we can see, but I just want to say if you are not pursuing those one another commands that you have pledged, 
Before you violate a pledge or a vow that you make in the name of the Lord, remember remember what God says in His Word. This is a serious thing. There is guilt that He cannot leave unpunished, but there's more. Number three, Pharisee religion. Mark 7, if you're there, in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of of the elders. These are man-made rules that they came up with. But they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people, listen to what he says, honors me with their lips while their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, the Pharisees took God's name on their lips, but it wasn't on their hearts. Their worship was in vain, and they taught their extra-biblical, legalistic rules and doctrines as if they were from God. Another way of taking His name in vain. There's all kinds of ways we can do that in our books. There's there's books I've seen and even titles of homeschooling or parenting books that claim to be God's way with ways that they have come up with that can violate this. Or there's ways we can bring our extra biblical preferences or precepts of men into worship. We need to be careful about that. We need to pursue for ourselves how as me and my house we will serve the Lord and honor his name, but we need to be very careful if it's not thus saith the Lord that we don't speak like that or give that impression. There's a lot of ways we can give lip service to the name, but our hearts can be far away and it can be vain. And I think a fourth way we can do that sometimes is by proclaiming God said what he didn't. And that's kind of related to what I was just saying. But Moses not only wrote Exodus 20, he wrote this in Deuteronomy 18, 21, who, this is God speaking, who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, he shall die. It's pretty serious. Jeremiah 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually, it shall be well with you. That's not just in Jeremiah's day. You can turn on certain Christian TV channels and there's all these people talking about how it will be well with you and health and wealth and prosperity. Here's what the Lord says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, who prophesy the deceit of their own heart. I am against the prophets, declares the Lord. I am against those who declare, declares the Lord, he says. When they're taking the very name Yahweh there, I did not speak to them. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. If we've got God's word That's God's word. We need to speak it faithfully. We need to make sure whatever we speak matches God's written word that he's given us. Jesus warned in Matthew 7 that there would be many who would talk about prophesying in his name or doing things in his name, and he's going to tell them on Judgment Day, I never knew you. That's Matthew 7. But go to Matthew 6. And I think Al Mohler has a helpful comment there about how 
In his words, we can, quote, take the Lord's name in vain by the sheer triteness and cheapness of so much of how we speak when talking about God. God told me or God showed me are commonly used expressions. But he says we need to be careful because forms of disguised idolatry come among us when without any scriptural word we speak as if God has spoken to us a new revelation. The misuse of God's name, Moeller says, includes where we would dare speak where God has not spoken. The Lord's name can be taken in vain when we say things like, we know why God did that. Or I can tell you why God let you have this disease or whatever it is. He says, be careful, little lips, what you say. Be careful also that you would never want to intentionally twist God's word to say what you want to say. I think one of the worst ways people use and misuse God's name is they use it for their own gain. There there are certain settings where using the name of God can actually give them financial gain. Or Phil Riken says this, people often try to boost their own credibility by claiming that God is on their side. His name has been used to endorse everything from the Crusades to the slave trade in the past, from political parties to social causes, using God's name to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this, or or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. Scripture warns of taking his name for vain words, but he says, we can become so certain that God is on our side. And, And I've seen this, we become so certain that God is on our side, we refuse to listen to other believers or to submit to spiritual authority in the church. I think it's, it's better to watch our vocabulary, even how we say things, to say, I think best based on these principles, or I feel led, but I'm, I'm open to scriptural input. This is what I'm thinking, but I'm open to, to what you could share with me from scripture, what others could as well. That's a humble, teachable spirit that the Lord would bless. And I think as we make big decisions, we need to submit ourselves to others, to leaders, and that includes leaders to fellow leaders as well. But here's another. Praying or praising in vain. I think we can mindlessly, so easily, habitually just repeat certain words that we're used to without even thinking about what they're meaning. Look at Look at Matthew 6, if you're still there in Matthew. Matthew 6 and verse 7. So we were in Mark, but now Matthew 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. If you have the New King James Version, it's vain repetitions. Jesus is concerned, even when we're talking to God, to just be throwing in Empty phrases or vain, repetitive phrases. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So here's, as we pray, we need to always be wanting to honor his name. That's what that means. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The implication is not mine. Prayer isn't about us getting what we want. It's about remembering whose name we're to honor and that it's about what he wants. And so even words like that you can say, but even this prayer is not something just to mindlessly repeat, but it it gives us some categories of when we pray, we need to remember we've got a Father in heaven. His name needs to be hallowed. His kingdom, His will being done, that's 
what we need to think about as we pray. And I'm convicted. I've often just mindlessly mumbled empty phrases with his name or to his name, to my shame, maybe right before I'm about to just eat to my desire, and I'm just doing it to get it out of the way, but I'm not really thanking him. I need to be careful with just repetitive words that we say. I think it's good to change the words, even if it's the same truths that we can just say over and over again. And and as we're singing to him to make sure or to, to even as, as you realize that man my mind's watering wandering lord help me to to praise you rightly or to make sure we're not just using religious phrases when we talk and especially not to justify what we want our will to be done A former pastor of mine don green explains it this way if we explain we prayed about it to God's name, using that to justify a sinful or grossly unwise decision, that is a way of taking God's name in vain, and we're actually calling God to witness to justify something, which can be a spiritualized or manipulative way of saying, I've decided what I want to do, and I hereby, by saying this, preclude questions that would hold me biblically accountable. He's dead right. And it's deadly serious for us to ignore and reject biblical warnings and just to say, well, I've prayed in his name. It's also vain to speak the word God if we're not seeking the word of God and seeking shepherding. But be careful even in prayer to not just be filling in empty space. Some of this is just habit we can work on, but... We don't need to say, you know, Father God, every four words, for example, or, or just throw, here's something to be careful about, even just saying the words in Jesus' name that we can say over and over again, it's, it's good to do that if that's what you're thinking about, but we can also, in other ways, think about what does that really mean to, for Christ's sake or for the glory of Christ, to, to, we want to honor Christ, we, we say this in the name of Christ, it, it can become just a thoughtless way to, to wrap up. And I'm just convicted as I considered all of this, ways that I can honor with my lips while my heart is far off, even in doing things of the Lord. In vain, I can worship, I can sing words that I don't really mean, and I'm not even really trying to, and, and I'm, I'm as prone to wander in my mind as anyone else. But when that happens, and this is what I try to do and encourage you to do, recognize that and say, God, God, forgive me. Help me. Help me to focus. Help me to pray and to praise rightly. I think that's a, a battle that we struggle with. But there's a difference in having frailties of your mind and being phony and hypocritical. A, a believer wants to pray better and praise the Lord better and recognizes that when they're not. But I just for integrity, have to stand here and tell you that I am not at all guiltless of those that Jesus said can in vain worship where their heart is far from the Lord. And there's one more. I think a profane or careless use. Go to Matthew 12. And this is last but not least 
And this list hits all of us. This is not just about cuss words. This is about careless words too. Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. There's serious words about our words. And there's hope in there about how we can actually be justified, declared righteous by what we truly say. But there's a a warning here about Judgment Day, that we're accountable for careless words. It's serious to be careless with words tied to God's name who are taken in vain. I I remember in the aftermath of of 9-11, there was a lot of footage that people had with their little cameras or their phones, and they were recording it. And Almost every clip, it seemed like, as the planes are crashing into buildings, you hear people blurting out the name of the Lord, the name of God, the name of Jesus in a way that was their way to swear. And I remember thinking at, the, on the, at that time there, if, if God's withdrawing his grace on America, this is a good time for us not to be swearing in his name but I know for a lot of people, that's just a, a habit. It's, it's something they, they do, O-M-G, or there's all kinds of variations of phrases that, that people use where they're talking about God or Jesus or Christ together. They're using those words, but they're not reverently or even thinking of Him as they do so. I think we need to be very careful with even little things we might say that aren't exactly that, but by God, I am gonna, if you, if you don't really mean by God's help, this is what I'm gonna do, or you just say Lord as part of an expression, but you're not really thinking of the Lord. So be careful with even things like I swear to God. Jesus says we don't need to even swear in our normal conversation. Our, our truth, our yes can be yes, our no can be no. There's a place for oaths and cord and, and, and weddings and covenant commitments and all that, but we don't need to swear at all by anything. We don't need to swear by a, a stack of Bibles or our mother's grave or anything like that. But also we need to be careful not to joke about holy things or just say for laughs, dear God or good Lord, if we don't really mean that, or God help you, you might say, in just a comedy sort of way. If you do want God to help someone, that's a good thing to say, but not just casually and carelessly. We need to be careful. I think some people, just, they just have this habit, and they use God's name sometimes like a comma. It's just kind of a filler they throw in, or, or a comment when surprised, or the worst would be as a curse word. You notice when people are scared, no one ever blurts out Buddha. They, they, they don't do that when they're scared. Or when they get mad, they don't blurt out Muhammad. They don't, when they stub their toe, yell out Joseph Smith. I mean, why is that that we use these precious names? I think part of it is that this is a satanic way that he's wanting to infiltrate by taking those holy things and those precious truths and just making them 
things that we say and take in vain. Even atheists can't escape God's name. They hear it all the time, whether it's on their lips or others. But this is serious, especially when we think of damnation to hell is what God will speak on Judgment Day. It's not for us to speak. We're not to bring God's name into that, into anger. And when people say some of those things, it's to cheapen and to weaken the reality that God does damn to hell. He does condemn. He does bring condemnation and damnation and judgment. His name is holy. We need to be careful with using the word holy with vain things. And Jesus says it's not just profanity of the holy, but careless use of words related to his holy name bring judgment on us. Those are some ways we can bring or we can violate this verse. The law, I hope you can see the law in Exodus 20 condemns us, but we need to not end there, do we? We need to see how does the gospel help us? How does the gospel help us to honor the name? Because the third commandment says that God will not leave guiltless or unpunished when his name is taken in vain. And this is personal. When you know about the the character of God, his name is actually his character. It's his nature. And so this is actually personal, a personal affront to the judge of the universe every time it happens. And in the scripture, in the law, there was a requirement for those to be put to death even if they would violate this in certain senses. And the bad news is all of us are guilty when we understand the fullness of this. All of us are guilty, but the good news is there is one who wasn't guilty. There is someone who walked this earth and who never misused God's name, never missed the first or the second or any of the other commandments. Here's what Pilate said of him. I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him, Pilate said. But more than Pilate punishing Jesus, we understand on the cross, God is actually punishing. He's bringing his wrath uh, against sin, including sin against his name. And Christ did not die in vain, as Paul would say elsewhere. Listen to Isaiah 53. The punishment that has brought us peace has fallen on him. That punishment that we deserve, that brings us peace, that punishment actually fails. God has to punish sin, and that punishment fell on him. And it says he gave himself as a guilt offering. That means as a guilt substitute. None of us are guiltless. All of us are guilty, vile, and helpless. But God saves sinners, and he does it for the sake of his name. There is a marvelous grace of our loving Lord that totally exceeds our sin and our guilt. Amen? Isn't that good news? Acts 14, 15 says, We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And Acts 10, 43 says, The prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in his name will receive forgiveness of sins in his name. It's in his name that we can be forgiven of how we have misused his name. And Acts 4 says, There is no other name 
given among men under heaven by which we may be saved, but the name of Jesus. It's the only name. It's the only hope, the name of Jesus. God's name and God's character demands that sin be punished, and God did punish sin on Jesus for all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus died and he rose and now he's in heaven and he is at that place where at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is who? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to confess he's Lord. That's more than just accept him in our heart. We need to confess him as Lord in our life. We need to confess his name. Our, our hearts need to repent. But Jesus said our words condemn or justify. Romans 10 agrees. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I read this earlier, and you believe in your heart where you're justified, he says with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not just believing in our heart that he died and rose for our sins. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. And so I'm appealing to you with those words of Scripture, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't let his name that is being proclaimed now be in vain. Don't let it be in vain. Behold, he says after that, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let these words be in vain. If you have not yet trusted in the name of the Lord today by the authority of his name, I call you to come to him, to cry out in his name for him to save you. Come to the Lord. There is mercy in his name to anyone who will come, who will come to this Lord In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds them of a gospel that saves, but he says, unless you believed in vain. It's possible to believe mentally on some level, but it'd be proven to be in vain. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In the end of that chapter, he says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that good news? However imperfectly we strive to honor his name and follow him and serve him, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's the encouragement for true believers as we take up his name. It's, it's not going to be in vain by grace. But that grace doesn't mean it's okay to misuse his name. Grace should motivate us to labor in love, to honor his name in our work and our words. So the application for believers is honor the name of your Lord God. We're not to take it in vain. We're not to lift up in vain the name of Jesus who is highly exalted. He has the name that is above every name. He has the name that it says is far above all rule and authority and every name that is named in this age or in the age to come. His name is far above all. We need to lift up his name in our thoughts, in our affections, in our living. The gospel saves us in his name, for his name's sake, 
for the glory of his name, and it also changes us. Here's a verse you might want to write down as kind of a New Testament counterpart to that third commandment. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you want to know how do I obey that commandment ultimately, here's the New Testament counterpart. Whatever you do, whether it's your words or your life, do everything in his name, which is giving thanks to him, looking to him, acknowledging from him and through him and to him are all things. The the good news of the gospel is we have a good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for what? For his namesake. He's committed to his name, and for his namesake, he's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. That's Psalm 23. Psalm 25, 11 is how to pray. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. If you feel guilt, pray that prayer. For your namesake, O Lord, forgive my guilt, Psalm 25, 11, or Psalm 79, 9. Help us. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Another psalm, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. The law of God, the psalmist says, revives the soul. And here's how the psalm prays, revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. Amen. By grace, let's pray for God's help in these, if you would join me. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed hallow and honor your name in all the earth. Lord, forgive us, help us to seek to honor it more and more in whatever we do, in word or deed that we would do it all in your name. We thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ that forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We also know honoring the name of of Christ is, is important as forgiven believers. So help us, Lord, and help us to know how we can help each other. And we pray above all that we would be moved by your Spirit in paths of righteousness, for your name's sake, we pray. Amen.